Hello, and welcome to episode 54 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today, we have the Emperor of Ineity. Hi, my name's John. I like Cheetos. Was that hot or regular? Both. I, I was wondering, was that like a dig at uh, Jeff Keighley? Like, what, what, what was that all about? No, Jeff Keighley has Doritos. Oh, like my Cheetos. Fault. My fault, my fault. All right, and then we also have the music man. Steven, Taylor's on the boards. Okay. Uh, we have the person who hopefully came with a flame shield today because uh, <laughs> that Final Fantasy Lightning Returns trailer. Whew. Yeah, I, it's not that good looking. I'm not going to defend it. It looks rough. I still want to play the game. Don't get me wrong. But, yeah, I'm Derek. I, I like things that Rob hates, and uh, that's pretty much my function at this point, I think. Yeah, well, that's, that's pretty much what everybody has, though. Everybody likes things that Rob hates. Yep. Like ferrets, apparently. I can't I even believe you. I don't hate ferrets. I just think they're messy creatures. Well, I don't even... No, go you on, wanna... please. Let's move on. Okay. Uh, then we have a newbie to the podcast. Why don't you introduce yourself, sir? Hey, it's John Tucker. I am Cooker on the boards. Hello. Hey. And, uh, yes, I've been playing lots of uh, Paper Mario and persona 4 lately ah all right so why don't we get started uh it's been a long time since we had a podcast and i apologize for that uh just very very difficult time of the year holiday season blah 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 blah. so why don't we start by uh talking a little bit about paper mario so those that have played it begin Ooh, i played like five minutes of it got to a save point i haven't played it again yeah i've played like i probably played like three-ish hours of it but i think uh tucker's gonna be the one that likes it the most why don't you begin turks so I, I I will say this, you know, uh, a lot of us I think played um, Thousand Year Door. I loved that I gave it an editor's choice uh, when I reviewed it. That was an amazing game. I and then we all saw the, you know, oh, there's new Paper Mario coming out, and we were all so excited. And then we learned a little more about the gameplay and things and how it was going to be different. And we all got kind of disappointed and nervous. And but I, uh, you know, said I'm going to play this thing anyway. And and. I will say that it definitely um, it definitely grew on me as I went through the game. Um, the differences between it and and the previous games, like like not having an experience point system, not having the companions, I, I still felt like that was kind of a bummer all the way through. But um, the gameplay was just fun, and the puzzles were almost always fun. Um, and it just you know the the music was great. It looked really good. There were just so many things about it that uh, that I thought really worked that I, I, I kind of was able to forgive it for not being its older brother. Um, I can definitely agree with you about the music. I feel like in my somewhat limited time I've played the game, the music is the thing that actually stands out to me the most, which is surprising mm-hmm. because I think um, the last time I really played a Mario game and I was like, oh, this music is great, was Mario RPG. Um <laughs> Because usually, I think I, I don't like the new style, the new Super Mario Brothers games. I really don't like the musical. I don't like really anything about those, to be honest. Other than the Wii U <laughs> one's pretty fun. But sorry. What? Yeah, I don't really. I think they're generic and uninspired and incredibly derivative. But anyway, uh, Paper Mario for uh, Paper Mario Sticker Star has. Some I actually have to disagree with you both. Pretty good music. Yeah, go on, Steven. Tell us. I, I actually. Tell us. When, I've, when I've played a Sticker Star and then I've listened to rips of the soundtrack. From the rest of it, I actually think it's the weakest in the Paper Mario series because Thousand Year Door has a fantastic soundtrack. And I think actually Paper Mario One and Two, uh, not Paper Mario, uh, 
Mario and Luigi one and three have way better music and way more memorable music. Well, I, uh, than... yeah, you know, I haven't even listened to to the soundtracks for any of the Paper Mario games in a long time. I honestly don't think yeah. I've even listened to them outside of when I actually played them. Um, so maybe that's just my, you know, it's for, just subjective yeah, based on it, how long it's been since I played the others. But and I don't know me, if I could say gonna... better or worse than than the previous games. I just I just think it's really good. Yeah, I think it definitely has the same spirit as the other Mario games. Uh, I guess I'm just spoiled because the battle theme in Thousand Year Door was so good, and the one in True. Sticker Star, honestly, I find just to be a little too heavy on the, I don't know, the whimsy. Well, maybe I, maybe I didn't mind it because I tried to avoid combat most of the time. I was <laughs> like, you know, I got I got lots of money. I got an album full of nice stickers. Why am I going to use them up on uh, on enemies? But I, I have to say, when I finished, my wife picked up the game and she started playing it. And she's playing it totally the opposite of me. She like she looks for everybody she can fight and fights them. Uh-huh. And she still has a giant album full of nice stickers. She has tons and tons of money. Um, and the thing that she really hates about it is the platforming. She she says she feels like that does not belong in uh, in this game because that's not the kind of game it is, and I, I I can't say I disagree with her. Like okay. I I haven't played a whole great deal of Sticker Star, but I played uh, a lot of Super Paper Mario for the Wii, um, which not really an RPG, which is why you didn't see coverage mm-hmm. of it on RPG Fan, and that was a game where like the platforming fit because it was kind of the focus, and even just in like the little beginning area, I got really angry at a lot of the platforming, like. It's when your character is 2D and you need to do 3D platforming. That sucks. Yeah, like he's flat, so it's really difficult to tell, you know, where you position a flat sprite. Yeah, it it, it, it just totally screws with my depth perception. Yeah, I, yeah, I would agree with that. I think that more so than the platforming, though, like the combat is probably the most controversial part of that game, just because, or rather, like your your impetus for getting into combat because mm-hmm. it's kind of like your choices are get into a fight and then use stickers and get nothing but a couple coins out of it or save the stickers and avoid combat. And I feel like that was sort of a weird design decision. I don't know mm-hmm. if I should say bad, but it's just, it's unusual that a game that focuses on its combat would sort of tell you, Hey, you know, or sort of imply that it's, it's smarter to avoid fighting. Can, um, can, can we, the impression j- I kind of got was that, uh, you know, for this Paper Mario, since it was handheld, Nintendo tends to have that philosophy of if it's handheld, you should be able to play it in short bursts. And that I, seems I think... like a, a lot of the game, like with the level structure and all that, mm-hmm. it seems like that's how they have it set up. So that way you can sit down on the train, finish a level, and then bounce. Can, can I just back up one quick second? Because I, I played Paper Mario Thousand Year Door, so I understand that combat system, like the time button presses and whatnot. Can we just maybe explain to the listeners real quick, like, what's the big difference? You guys started throwing around stickers and stuff, and I was like, what, what, uh, stickers? What, what's going on? That's a good point. So uh, in you know in this game... It's turn-based, like uh, like Thousand Year Door was. You still have some of the the timing things, like when you use a jump attack. If you hit A at the right time, you're going to bounce on the enemy and hit him again. Um, in fact, you know, usually you can do it several times and hit him several times. Um, but the difference is that you don't just have, you know, any attack you want available to you. You don't have the like sort of SP uh, system the, with the you know sort of Mario mana. Um, instead, as you walk around the levels, uh, the question mark blocks that you see, um, when you hit them, 
You may get a sticker out of them. When you walk around the levels, you'll see on the walls of the environments uh, stickers. And you can peel those off. And they all go into a little album of stickers that comprise the set of attacks that you can do at, you know, at that moment. Um, you start off with just a couple of pages in your album. But then as you, as you go throughout the game, you get more and more pages. Uh, I think you end up with eight or nine pages by the end of the game. Um, which is definitely more than enough. Um, and then the other the other item that the other thing that comes into play with uh, attacks is that as you go through the game, there are certain objects that are you know very obviously like three d kind of things in this paper world. Um, the one that they showed in like the trailers and other things was a fan. Uh, you pick up the fan and then you can turn the fan into a sticker that you know does massive damage or uh, in some cases, the sticker can, the the thing stickers like that can solve puzzles and, and, and stuff like that. So if you were to uh, run out of stickers, well, then you wouldn't be able to make any attacks. You just have to run away from whatever fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is sort of unusual. I think um, I think I I may personally I would have liked it better if there was like a like a maybe a default attack like just a weak jump and then all the stickers mm-hmm. were your extra attacks. Um, even though in my limited playtime, like I said, I've, I've never run out of stickers, and I feel like I've never even gotten close. So yep. it just depends on how many fights you're doing. But again, that ties into the whole, like, if you're going to, if you want to keep a healthy stock of stickers, just avoid the fights. So Now, is, 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 sorry, go ahead, uh, now I, I understand this game has, like, a, a rather distinct lack of a, a level-up system. Like, there's, there's mm-hmm. no real focus on, on statistics. Can you kind of go into that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you have uh, you have HP, enemies have HP, um, but other than that, like that's really the number in the game is is just HP and you know how many HP an attack takes away from somebody when you use it. Um, the uh, but the stickers all come well, I shouldn't say all, but most of the stickers come in in various flavors, um, like a really weak jump. That's uh, it's like a, a, a boot with a bandaid across it looking sticker, a regular jump. And then there's flashier and flashier uh, types of stickers as you move through the game. Um, you start to get more of those where like if you're in the first world or two, you're picking up busted boots and, and, and regular boots all the time. But then as you get into, say, the fourth world, you're seeing almost exclusively shiny ones. Um and then some even better ones thrown in there and the just the variety of stickers that becomes available to you in the environments and in the shop as well grows so in a way and and then like i said you get more pages for your album so in a way you get more moves available to you throughout the game but it's not through that traditional leveling up and you know putting points into things or, or or anything like that all right cool I'll let Steven ask his question now. Well, I, I was going to say just, I think what rubs me the wrong way about that sticker thing is it, it's kind of like why I've never really dug on road like games. I just don't like the idea that all of my progress on the character is tied to an item that I can lose. It was the same reason I didn't like Mario Luigi too, because rather than learning special attacks, you got items that, you know, they worked like the special attacks, but it's like, Oh, you yourself aren't getting any better. You're just finding better stuff. And I, I mean, just for me, I know not everyone feels that way, obviously, but... I do, just, actually. It's not, 
It, it just I, makes I me like, feel like I'm not making any real progress. It's just like, oh, I happen to find something better, which means I'm better today. Yeah, I, I find that even the, even if there's just some incredibly minimal, um, you just sort of want a, a way to measure the progress that you've made with your character, or mm-hmm. within the game, um, yeah. and a game a game that's just saying you know your character is you, basically your character is always level one or basic, and then your equipment is the only thing that changes. I think that sort of it gives you a sense of impermanence as far as um, your your progress. Like I said, y- you get stuff and it's like, well, I could lose this at any given time or whatever the case may be. So I mm. even I don't know. This is a weird analogy, I guess. But um, I, I always felt that way about Monster Rancher growing up. Like, I don't mm, know if you guys yes. have played any of the Monster Rancher games, but um, your monsters are basically like your character and then they die after a certain level, a certain amount of time. But as you go through the game, like you can upgrade your farm or whatever. And so just having that as as like a way to make yourself better, like, you know, you upgrade your farm and then every monster has some, you know, some more advantages from the beginning, that sort of thing. I think that um, every, every game, not maybe not every game, it's tough to say that, but I think it makes a bigger difference when games have sort of like a, a statistical backbone, if that makes any sense. Whereas Paper Mario sort of lacks anything of that of that nature. Well, I think yeah. the the whole statistical backbone thing is is important to gaming as a whole in modern gaming because you look at every single game in the history of I don't know the the Xbox 360 and it's got some kind of RPG elements to it. Like it's not like Contra where the Contra guy might pick up you know Spreadshot and that was his you know the extent of his leveling up. You know Batman gets bat things what and, about endings not not <laughs> not to be combative with you john but what about like halo well even halo no, has experience these days oh yeah, yeah that's that's right. they did they did put it in an experience system didn't they okay well I'm yeah there. there you go well i think that that's uh, that's also like we we started seeing that sort of um development of characters with uh devil may cry it's like the first big 3D action game, which is like you would upgrade Dante, you would get new moves. And that's because I think people like to feel stronger. I think there's there's a real sense, at least one of the reasons I really like playing games, um, is this feeling of getting stronger, of getting better, not only with my own gaming abilities with the game, not only with my abilities to like, hey, I can get through the last level of Super Mario Brothers where before I couldn't. But also the fact that, well, now I also have all this new stuff that comes along with it. So striking that balance between the player getting better, but at the same time opening up new things for you to do and making your character feel stronger, I think that's really hard. And a lot of games just don't get it right. They go one way or the other too far, and it can become obnoxious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's... And I, I, you know, I think that some people do like having it to one extreme. Like a lot of roguelikes you have... Oh, when you die, you lose everything. So for the player, it really is just, oh, well, you found good stuff, but it was, you know, it's all your skill there. Whereas you have like really hardcore RPG where it's like, you know, oh, well, your numbers are low. You're dead. Doesn't matter how good you are. I would agree. Yeah. I think yeah, we've I, exhausted that topic a bit. Is there anything else that yeah. you guys wanted to talk about with Paper Mario? I was just going to say one thing with, uh, I don't remember who said it about uh, playing games in short bursts, Rob. I think maybe it was you. Uh, no, anyway, it was John. Oh, Okay, so one one thing that about this game is with that level system, I think a lot of people were nervous about it, and I think that that's really what the focus is uh, in terms of of having the world or having the game broken up into little worlds, little levels. Uh, is that when you finish a, a, a level off, you're done for now. You can you know put it on standby, go away. Every time you finish a level 
or even just leave the level if you walk back out the front door, as it were. The game saves your progress. So um, it definitely, you definitely can see that aspect of it, uh, that it's designed to be a mobile game that people would play for the, the few minutes they have. To, to bounce off that real quick, um, have you guys ever gone back and played like an older game? Like uh, right now, I'm uh, not to try to pimp Okami HD too much. It's not a game we covered, but uh, I'm playing Okami HD. I'm absolutely loving it. I, I love this game. I'm remembering why I liked it. And then I get to the save system. And I'm remembering that in in order to save in this game, there's almost no checkpoints. They do put checkpoints right before boss fights uh, so that you don't have to replay those sections. But if I want to save in this game, I have to actively seek out a save point. And maybe I've just been playing PC games way too much lately. But the fact that I can't save anywhere is really bothering me. And it's it's actively making me like question whether I want to pick it up because it's almost like now, as John and as Tucker is saying right now, with a mobile game, you can, like, close it, you have a good, like, save feature, but with, like, Okami, now, if I want to play this, I have to dedicate some time to it, because I might not be able to find a save point for a while. It's going to hold you hostage. Yeah, (laughs) and I think that's just, as you've moved more into the modern age of stuff, a lot of people have a lot less patience for, you know, uh, Final Fantasy style, where's the next spinning, floating crystal thing so I can save? I mean, that was what was driving me nuts about The Walking Dead, which not to start talking about that again, but, you know, it's like, I'd like to make a save here, so that way I can, you know, say something different in this conversation, and then go back. And then it's like, well, no, you can just go ahead and redo the entire chapter. Yeah, and... I, I agree. Walking Dead was one of the worst examples of it this year, where, like, I, I didn't realize that the game wasn't saving one time, and I had to replay a 20-minute section, and I kept looking in, the, what was it, the upper right-hand corner for the little, like, save blip, and I'm like, oh, okay, now I can take a break, and that it it's like, it is holding me hostage. This game is not letting me go. Help. Help. So uh, overall, are we disappointed with Sticker Star, or are we okay with it? I think Tucker likes it, right? Yeah, I, I, I thought that, you know, when all was said and done, it was a really good game. It was not as amazing, you know, as awesome as Thousand Year Door, but neither was it, you know, all crappy and bad like we feared it might be. I gotta, so. I gotta replay Thousand Year Door. I got very far in it, and then I, I, I don't know what it was, but something wasn't clicking. Like I, I liked the combat. I liked the, I really liked the writing. Actually, I thought it was, mm-hmm. you know, kind of hip and fun. But I, I think maybe it was just like it. Sometimes the game just doesn't g up with you, and I don't know what it was. Just didn't do it. The vibe I get from Sticker Star is kind of the same thing from Super Mario. Like I enjoyed that game. It was good. I would, the whole time I was playing, I was going, man, it'd be really cool if this was just like Thousand Year Door. But when I finished it, I still felt like, oh yeah, that was pretty fun. Well, I don't really love Sticker Star. I hate to be, I, it's unusual when I'm the, the dissenting voice, like the negative person, but I, I don't want to say it's a bad game, and by no means should Tucker, you know, uh, feel any shame or, you know, feel like he's in the wrong place. <laughs> well, <laughs> if anybody has to shame, feel shame it's, for. It's, it's, it's always Rob that it's should true. feel shame, but um, you know, it's it's a perfectly <laughs> fine game. I just think it doesn't it doesn't mesh with me right now, and it just I don't know. It's something about it just doesn't suit my taste. But I I can see why other people like it. I think it's an okay game. That's it. Okay. Hey, let's talk about some dice. Hey, I'm rolling like, them right now. Actually, the Battlefield Company. Yeah, I'm so confused right now. We can't talk about Battlefront. I mean, it has a level up system, but it's it's not an RPG. Mm. Battlefront was made by a different company. Just so you it know, it was cool though. 
Oh, for God. Oh, oh. Touche, John. Touche. All right. All right. So this is uh, Crimson Shroud, eh? Uh, this is yeah. the, this is the uh, the same dude who made Final Fantasy twelve, Final Fantasy Tactics, Vagrant Story. How awesome is it? Uh, considering that the game costs eight dollars, it's amazing. It's unexpectedly yep. amazing, I'd say. It's eight dollars. When you yeah, start it up, dude, it, it's a question of like when you buy that game, you're thinking, oh, I'm gonna get some cool little mini game. No, you're getting a full blown RPG with like crazy good production values because when they made it in Japan it was part of that four pack from level five. Uh what was it? Guild one? Guild one. Yeah, Guild. And the production value on it is ridiculous. I mean there's no animation on the characters because of how the game is structured. I'll let somebody else say that. But I think yeah, I mean, you're getting it's like a, a two disc soundtrack and like really nice graphics, awesome writing. You know, it's yes it's pretty well, okay. solid. All right. All right. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back up. Back up even it's so good. We love it. We're gonna play it. <laughs> back, up. back up. Back up. Where do I buy this game? If you say 3DS, I'm gonna kill myself. It, it is. Ah! It is on the 3DS eShop. Oh, for... Rob, I'm poor. Okay, so fuck uh, them. It was five dollars. It was five dollars on Steam. Well, this game is eight dollars. But I need a 3DS. <laughs> the 3DS costs less than your video card. Cancel your wedding. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, okay. You can tell her that. Hey, if you did, you could go <laughs> to E3. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Rob's like, no, seriously, guys, I'm going to get in trouble. Stop. <laughs> Don't All right. So, so let, let's take a step back. Um, so Crimson Shroud is essentially what would happen if you took you playing Dungeons and Dragons with your friends and putting it into a video game. Now, I say that and you're like, well, John. What about like Neverwinter Nights or Baldur's Gate or any of those games? Isn't that just like it? And to that, I say no. <laughs> no, it's not. Um, whereas the, those games kind of they they take the essence of the Dungeons and Dragons combat system. They're really set up like computer RPGs. Whereas this game, it's almost like being walked through a story with by your dungeon master. You know, there's there's no animation in the game, uh, with the exception of your little miniature figures jumping up and turning. But they're miniatures, like literally they have the same pose throughout the entire game. Yeah, like the little plastic base. They're literally the figures that you use in a tabletop game. But it's, you know, it's like the dungeon match. Oh, you enter a dark, a dank room with, you know, whatever lining the walls. Da, da, da. It's it's like being walked through a, a Dungeons and Dragons game. And it's really cool. Like, I, it, it really, I can't get over the fact that I paid, you know, $8 for this and, you know, $60 for Darksiders 2. Ooh. Oh, 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 why did you have to bring that game up? This again? is one of those games where creativity trumps its production values by, you know, a long shot, just because even though the even with like the character models not being that impressive, I mean, they're OK, but it's it's all about the writing, the atmosphere, the presentation, the UI, like everything about it just sort of immerses you into that sort of like, you know, that that tabletop RPG feeling. Yeah, what I really dug was when I first started, because. First of all, the the, mo the miniatures look cool. Like, they're well-designed. Like, they don't have any animation, but, like, you know, they look nice. But the whole world is set up like those little, you know, I don't know what you would call it, but the, 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 you set up a dungeon in Dungeons & Dragons. Like, it's like, like a mini-map. And, like, mountains and stuff. 
Yeah, and it looks funny because everything is like only about waist high on your characters, like the you know the walls and fences, and you can see over everything. So it looks literally looks like you're looking down at a board. Yeah, I I I dig the atmosphere, and what's great is the combat's good too. And it's all here. Here's where Ross can be like, oh, maybe I don't want this game now. Uh, everything is dice. <laughs> everything is dice based. Done. Uh, <laughs> I'm t- I'm muting myself. So it's it really is. And when I say it's dice based, it's not like the computer does dice rolls in the background. It's like, oh, you need to roll a 13. And then on the bottom screen, it shows like a group of polyhedra dice. So you might have like, OK, you need to roll a 13. You get 2D 10 plus D6 plus D4 and you roll. <laughs> I'm just having flashbacks to high school and me getting so pissed off when like we, we had. I, I don't mean to cut you off, but we had such a big dungeons and dragons group and you know when you have a really big map and too many monsters and too many players you could be waiting for your turn for like 20 minutes and i would get to my turn and they would be like all right what is rob the thief gonna do okay i'm gonna try to stab this orc and you missed yeah Uh, okay moving on so actually the one thing that this game does very well is there's three characters in your party and no matter how many other monsters you're fighting like you might get into a combat with six you only fight three in a time so you kill one monster, it goes, oh, that monster is dead. And then it drops the next monster into the battle. So you're never stuck, and you're never going to get your, your destroyed by this party of orcs. Because, you know, you have to heal on a regular basis, you know. An orc might hit you, or a goblin. I don't know if there are orcs, I don't remember. Goblins. But a go- Yeah, a, gob- a goblin might hit you for, you know, 80 damage, and your character only has 300 hit points. So... It really, it's, it's so far, it's been very balanced. I haven't beaten the game yet. Um, but I, I have to say, I have a significant enjoyment out of it. And it's it, it, like, it really just does feel like a throwback to Dungeons and Dragons. And I guess if you didn't have a crappy Dungeons and Dragons experience like Rob did, you'd like it. You know what I think it's I, I, what it does really well? Is it it melds like the the really Western style of like you're actually rolling dice. It's you know you're in dank catacombs with these like semi-realistic enemies like skeletons and minotaurs, and then it blends that with sort of the JRPG like menu system and straightforwardness of the story. And I think it does a really good job because you know you guys know me as sort of like the JRPG guy, and and it's not because I don't like anything Western by any means. It's just because. I just find that like most of the time when I try Western stuff, it doesn't appeal to me as much, but this does an incredibly good job. It's sort of, to me, it's sort of like it introduces me into a D&D sort of thing. Like I've played, I've only ever played one campaign of D&D in my life and it lasted like three games before everybody got fed up. But, uh, and I wish that, you know, I wish that I had played more, but this is, this is a really neat sort of in-between and it's virtual. So it's not like I have to plan to get together with people and everything, but it's, it's cool. I really like the way that it meshes the two styles. And yeah, the the I like oh I, I I let me just have a real quick Stephen and I'll let you in. Yeah. Um, the the game systems are relatively simplified too. All of your skills and everything are based on the items that you wield. So there's no levels. It's just you when you win a battle, you get a certain number of victory points, or I forget what they're called. They're not called victory points. And, and what what was that? Barter points. Yeah, barter points. Um, and they're like, okay, here's all the potential loot that these monsters can drop. They each have point values and say, okay, I want to use this many barter points on this, these items. 
And you also get throughout the, the battles, you get bonus dice. And you can use those if like, oh, God, you know, this guy's almost dead. Let me put some bonus dice on there, make sure I kill him. But you can also turn those bonus dice into martyr points. But really, it's not like Baldur's Gate where you sit down and it's like, create your character. And it's like, OK, which feats do you want? And it gives you a list of like 80 feats. And you're like, do I want sword and shield specialization level two? Or do I want to take both sword and shield and sword and or, you know two swords? Or do I want to take... You know, short sword, long sword, bastard sword. Yeah, it's it's really much more streamlined, which puts it in line with kind of its its Japanese core. Um, that's really what I wanted to say. I'll let Stephen go. Yeah, well, I no, I, I agree with what you guys have said too, and I think what I really like about it, aside from that stuff, is I mean, it's pretty much Yasumi Matsuno's pet project. Like, they were like, yeah, make whatever you want, and he, you know. It's just if you liked, you know, the world design and the writing and vagrant story, Final Fantasy 12 tactics, that sort of thing. It's just more of that really awesome quality, just very detailed, kind of like European fantasy. And it's just it, it like Derek said, it really does feel like a great combination of like a Japanese style RPG with like Western design aesthetics and like the dicey stuff. And I actually really like the, the bonus dice thing because that's that's sort of like a. I don't know, a video gamey addition to it, but it makes it flow a lot better. Like, you know, oh, you failed the throw. Well, I threw a bonus die in. So, no, I didn't. Yeah, the, and, uh, I, the, um, the World of Darkness role-playing game, that tabletop role-playing game, has always done that sort of thing where you can spend willpower points in order to add to a dice pool. And I really like that kind of system because now you're adding a layer of strategy, and apparently if you're a bad dice roller like me... That can help out a little bit. I, I really just hated the binary nature of D&D of just like, well, you, you have to get this magic number, and if you don't, then you miss. No amount of good storytelling or mechanics can get you past you have to get this number. Well, I, I still I, – I have no problem with the this is your victory number. Um, I actually really liked the, the game system from Alternity, which was one of TSR's last products before they were purchased by Wizards of the Coast. And but it, it's dice system was scaled by dice. So instead of like in Dungeons and Dragons to be D20 plus one, D20 plus two, D20 plus three, it was like, OK, you get D20 plus D4, D20 minus D6, D20 plus three D20 or whatever. And it would scale the difficulty that way so that theoretically you could fail at something easy or you could be awesome at something, you know, difficult. But that's neither here nor there. If, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I've only played a limited amount of tabletop stuff, but the barter point thing is kind of set up like uh, like I played Warhammer Black Crusade with some friends, and that was like when you get items, you have a certain number of points with which to pick items. Is that pretty much what they were going for with barter points? Or is you that... know what? I, I haven't played a whole lot of miniature stuff. I know that with miniatures, you build your army with a certain number of points. Mm. Okay. But yeah. It's a cool yeah. game. And, and this also, is what happens when you roll dice. This is what it sounds like. That, that's all. In case you didn't hear, that was the soundtrack by Hitoshi Sakimoto, which is a very, and very good one. boss. It's boss. Yeah. Yeah. If you like... So I think pretty much what we've come down to is if you own a 3DS and you can connect to the internet um, and you have $8 and chances are listening to this podcast, you have all of those things. You should be downloading and playing this game. Uh, put it on iOS. No. So, 
No. So Rob, this is this. I don't want to derail us too much, but I've actually been thinking back to a couple of years to a game that I reviewed on iOS for us. It's called Rhymelands Hammer of Thor. Um, it was pretty good at the time. They've patched it up since then, and and it's better than it was when I reviewed it. But its combat is also um, dice based. It's not exactly the same kind of gameplay as as you guys are talking about with this. It's more of a straight up. Um, turn-based RPG thing where, you know, you're rolling dice and as you go through the game, you know, depending on the things, the ways that you choose to level up, you get more dice or whatever else. Um, it looks like it's five bucks right now. I don't know. Read the review. Check it out. Maybe that would be something you'd be interested in. Hmm. Speaking of uh, of iOS, uh, what did they do? They put uh, Maybe this will get us into news, but they put uh, Final Fantasy VII on iOS, and how much does Square Enix want seven? for it? You mean four? Seven, four. Was it four? Seven, okay. yeah. they put any price and, on. People would be like, I must have it. So what did they What did they price Final Fantasy IV at? Mm, I don't know, like seventeen ninety nine. Like, That's yeah. what they price everything. Jesus. I think it was like $15.99. My God. Now, keep, keep in mind, Rob, if you go to the DS and want to buy that, it's going to cost you $25, 30 bucks. I, I, I mean, I, I'm not a big fan of how they price their stuff on iOS either, but that and you're getting into relative value of stuff. Like, is the game suddenly worth less money because it's on iOS? No, I, I get that, but I'm just uh, – I'm going to hold off. Uh, let's make the last news story lightning returns because i just want to tear square enix a new one today oh, but, you know, i don't know if you wanted to talk about it at all but i guess we could just touch on the fact that when they announced the uh ios port of ff4 they did mention um and at the arts. end of the trailer it teased yeah it said and coming soon the mobile revolution begins or something you know square enixy like that and it showed the ff5 logo and it said and more mm-hmm. so I don't. I you know. I would imagine that means that they're coming to iOS. But if they did any kind of remake of FF five or six for 3DS or Vita, I'd probably die. Yeah, that'd be pretty fantastic. Five. You know what? Really? Final Final Fantasy six is on my list of games like Fantasy Star four that I really don't want to see remade. I am right there with John. I am right there with John. I really don't want them screwing with that game. I I have lots of games. But they did a really good job with four, don't you think? No. The PSP remake of four is good, I think. I don't. I don't like the DS yeah, the, and iOS the, one. Like, I have no problem with enhanced ports. Like, the GBA version of Final Fantasy VI was great, but like, I I go and I think of of like what they were trying to do with uh, the Sega Ages Generation Four, uh, which luckily never came out. And it, and it just with Fantasy Star Four, the storytelling in that game was so very much tied to the technology level that if you tried to do it with modern technology, you would break it. I agree. I, no, I agree with that in terms of fantasy star four, the, I mean, the graphic novel things at the time, there wasn't anything else like that. It was awesome. I mean, I mean, there was fantasy star two and three, but four really turned it into kind of a, you know, considering all you have were sprites, you suddenly had these characters with like expressions and stuff. And, it was really cool, and I do think if you, maybe if you remade that now in 3D, you'd end up with generic anime RPG. Uh, that's exactly what I'm worried about. It, it's very similar to film for me. I think there's just some some things you don't want to go back to. It's just leave them alone. Uh, either like if they Red Dawn, yeah, like Red Dawn or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, or the, there are just some things you. You, because it's so ingrained. Like the like, do we want to see a reboot of The Dark Knight with another Joker? 
Like like that sure. that performance is going to be uh, that performance is going to oh. be held up to a huge high standard. And Final Fantasy yeah, VI. Yeah, that's exactly what. That's exactly what everybody said after the original Batman. People went into the Dark Knight going, oh, well, he'll never be as good as the no, Joker from 1989. No. Those Batman. People were and then everyone was like, oh, Heath Ledger's the greatest Joker of all time. I'm, I'm just saying that Final Fantasy VI to me is it, – it, it's one of those games that I put up on a pedestal and I go, okay, for everything came together. Story, gameplay, graphics – technical ability on the super nintendo everything came together to make this really really special rpg if you try to redo it i just feel like it's not going to be the same sometimes the planets just align it's like in uh, i keep doing movie analogies but like think of godfather 2 and you love referencing the Godfather. I do because it it just trumps everything. Uh, in Godfather Two, originally Marlon Brando was supposed to come back for the flashback scene at the end of the film with the whole Corleone family together. He was supposed to be in that scene, and he, he like they got into a pissing contest in the production studio, and so he didn't come in. And because he's not in the scene. The scene is actually better because now you you hear the door open in the background and everybody goes to him as their dad. And now he's been elevated to a level. Because he wasn't in the scene, it's now become better. The limitations on Final Fantasy VI for the time made it a better game in my eye. I mean, I mean think about when Tara's parents get together. Spoiler. The way they handle that scene is kind of hokey and, and quirky, but it's also a clever way to introduce her character and the relationship of her parents. Now, today, imagine what they would do. Well, I think if they... if I can understand where you're coming from. Um, I think it depends on the style in which they handle it. Like if they if they tried to go for more of like the uh, FF4 um, DS and iOS style and with the little character models and all that, um, like the the voice acting and all that, I don't know how that would go. If they redid it, if they just sort of HDified it and did it like the FF4 uh, PSP remake, I think that was like about as good of a remake as it could have gotten. So what you're saying is just like make it pretty. I guess I, I disagree with you. Sorry, go ahead. No, that's about. It. I mean, if they, I just feel it depends on the way they handle it, really. I mean, who can say? It depends on the way that they they render it and do all of that, um, and and the way that they want to treat some of those scenes. I think that no matter what, with something like Final Fantasy VI, that's held in such high esteem. I mean, it's my favorite Final Fantasy, as as well as the favorite of many other people. Right here, it, it's going to be impossible to please everybody with the way that they redo it. So that's why doing a remake is treading incredibly dangerous territory. But I also think that it has the potential to be good. What's I'm not going to rule it out right away. I don't know. I, I, I guess I disagree with you guys because I thought the Final Fantasy IV remake on DS was better than the original because I never really got... I mean, I tried to beat that game like five or six times and you know I got pretty far. I liked it. It was Final it was Fantasy. Fantasy. You know what? I, with Final Fantasy IV, I run into the, the place where I really don't like Final Fantasy IV. And I think... That's what my that, thing too. I, I think what it comes down to is I didn't play Final Fantasy IV when it first came out. I didn't have I had a Genesis. I didn't have a Super Nintendo until the very end of its life cycle, and I played Chrono Trigger then. And Chrono Trigger was amazing. Same with Final Fantasy VI. But I, I play Final Fantasy IV now, and it feels very childish, very amateurish. And I feel like because I lack kind of that that nostalgia factor for it, I don't feel like it's very good. It feels like an RPG Maker game, which I mean, you know, I guess you'd have to say the opposite. RPG Maker games feel like Final Fantasy IV, but that's I don't have any nostalgia for it either. And I think that's why when I played the remake, I said, wow, this is, you know, they've rebalanced the combat. It's more challenging. I like the 
the, I don't remember what they called it, but the stones you could get that would give you other characters who had left abilities. So you had more customization open to you. The augments. Yeah, the augments. And I feel like I, when that came out, I said, man, I didn't even like Final Fantasy IV. If they redid six in this style, you know, with you know higher resolution 3D models, that would be awesome because you don't have to totally change the game. But doing it's like what they did with the Resident Evil remake. It's an enhanced remake, but it's still the same game. You know, you don't necessarily have to add new characters, but, you know, throw a wrinkle or two into the combat system. Re- I mean, imagine if they got, you know, this upgraded version of the soundtrack. That'd be fantastic. I don't I, know. I, no, Steven, it, when you bring up something like the, the Resident Evil remake, then I totally see where your argument is coming from. I, I, I think that is probably the best remake ever made in terms of video game. That that thing was incredible. Well, that's <clears> what it's supposed to be, because that game... And again, I think Final Fantasy IV did the same thing, where it plays on your expectations of, okay, you've played the original, you know what happens here, so we're throwing you a bone, and if you've never played it, you're just getting a solid experience. I I just have to go back to my grand thesis of when we started this podcast, so we're talking about, what, almost three years out from when we started. My grand thesis is that Square Enix can't really do anything right anymore. And uh, there have been some blips on the radar here and there that, that people seem to like. I, I don't necessarily agree, but i, I got to acknowledge that some people like some of the things that they've been doing. But I just – this is like when, when I talked about uh, wanting to see a Vagrant Story 2, and then I quickly said, no, I have a feeling that Ashley Riot would be on a motorcycle, and I would really be pissed off. I don't know if Square Enix can do it. I, I, I really don't. Have- I think it's well. You have a lot of people who left Square Enix. Like, like a lot of people who made those games aren't there anymore. Like Yasumi Matsuno isn't there anymore. You know, a lot, a lot of the people who made those kind of games that we hold in really high regard are off doing other things that are very similar to the stuff they used to do. Square Enix, you have a new generation of people making games. Now, on the other hand, I personally don't necessarily think they do a great job either because I think they're very focused on style and flash now, and now they have this. To, you know, with the, the Lightning Returns trailer, they have this kind of horrifying fusion of surface level, this has to look cool, and also we want to make it look like Western games that are selling like gangbusters, so that way we can make more money. And, you know, maybe that's not totally fair I, to them, but I like with, with Kingdom Hearts, like for example, with Th- Dream Drop Distance, that game was very obviously designed to look insane, and then they're like, oh, that's right, we needed a story, and I think also some Disney stuff was part of this, right? I, like, I but think, Sora's bouncing off walls. It's crazy. I, I truly think that the greatest issue with modern Japanese game development is that it's not stuff that's made for Japan anymore. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is go back 10 years, go back 15 years. And despite Japan's huge population differential from North America, you know, the United States has 300 million people. Japan has what, 50 million? No, does anyone know their numbers off the top of their head? I, I don't keep those numbers in the back of my head. Okay. I should know those numbers, but no, I don't. Um, while I'm talking, I will look that up. But <laughs> just despite that, um, you had, you know, million, double million, triple million sellers. Okay, there's 127 million people in Japan, so I was off by a fair chunk. So there's there's less than half the amount of people in Japan that there are in in the United States. But those people were buying more video games. Fast forward to today. Well, Japan's still buying a lot of video games. You can see that with Monster Hunter. You can see that with Dragon Quest. You can see that with lots of other games. But the United States, our population is buying even more video games because it's it's become almost as ingrained in our culture as it has in theirs. So companies 
and and combine that with the fact that games are much more expensive to make make now you know mm-hmm. the the technology and the expectations are much higher well japan's buying fewer video games united states is making more you need to sell more to make it worthwhile so the onus goes on making games for the united states market and let's face it the the kind of role playing games that we like that come from japan were the kind that were made for japan and those really those don't exist anymore at yeah. least not not in the way that they used to i 100 percent agree with you john i mean uh, resident evil 6 was such a corporate hey look at all this call of duty money and all this multiplayer and this whiz bang approach to game design let's take our franchise and let's do that and we'll sell millions of copies and and you know surprisingly that having, game, it sold very well Right, it sold very well based on the name, but I think the backlash against that game was everybody wanted, you know, a a traditional Resident Evil game. We just got done talking about the Resident Evil remake. I agree with John. I think where where the Japanese game development is getting screwed up right now is they want desperately to make a game for the Western audience because the Western audience is where the money is. As we want to, let's transition into the Lightning Returns trailer. Let's transition to this. So, new trailer for Lightning Returns, the sequel to Final Fantasy 13 to the sequel to Final Fantasy 13. Right off the bat, Steven was watching the trailer at the at, when we were doing the pre-show warm-up, and he's like, uh, is it Assassin's Creed now? And I think that the decision to have the way she looks now and the way she she's like the way she's moving around the environment it is like you can't help but feel like they're trying to grab on to that assassin's creed aesthetic and it's it's so it it, it you know Over. what it is you know, you know what it is to me? You guys know the, the long-running Family Guy jokes where they do something really, really awkward for like a minute and a half, and it starts really funny, and then it gets awkward, and then it gets obnoxious, and then it goes back to being funny again? That's where I feel like Final Fantasy Thirteen is right now, where like it started off and it was like I was so angry at it. And then I've then it like I'm now back to being angry. I thought it was funny with Final Fantasy Thirteen too, but now I'm back to being angry. That trailer that they showed looked atrocious. It looked janky. The environment looked crappy. The way she's moving around. Did any? I'm sorry, Adam Jensen. Where are you? Did anyone ask for this? No. My, well, first of all, the the one thing I took issue with was that the environments looked very just. I don't know. It looked like. They were just like boxes. Yes, yeah, like on them. soulless boxes. And I think I, I was watching it while you guys were talking about something, and I wasn't talking. And I happened to notice when she had the ridiculous-looking sunglasses on. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What exactly? Like, she looks absurd. And I actually thought the combat looked a little more like Crisis Core, and I really liked Crisis Core. So I don't know. I'm gonna leave my verdict out on the combat at least. But the, the running around and stuff, I was just like, what? What even is this anymore? But I, well, I, I, well let, let, let's be ahead. completely honest. Both, both the Final Fantasy 13 and 13 2 had what looked to be like free roaming. You know, if, if you were to never have played either of those games and you see lightning jumping around like she's crazy, you would assume <laughs> that, you know, oh, this game, you, you mash buttons when in fact, literally, you just walk up to a place where it's like, oh, you need to jump up to the next place and she jumps. 
I, I, you're right, John, because like uh, I just watched the uh, Spoonie just came out. Uh, Spoonie Experiment just did the first episode in the Final Fantasy uh, 13 analysis, and he showed something that I hadn't even connected the dots on before because I was in graduate school. I didn't have the time to watch a lot of TV. He showed the Final Fantasy 13 commercial that has the gameplay teaser that when they originally showed Final Fantasy 13 of lightning flipping around with all the bars on the screen. That was their demonstration of what the white engine would look like and they used it in the freaking trailer for final fantasy 13 i like it, it's blatant mismarketing i'm just like that is disgusting to me because that's not what the game looks like and they're just it, I, I, I just don't Rob, understand it deep I'm, breaths deep breaths I'm so angry with them right now. Like I, I, I've I've gone from being pissed to thinking it's funny to back to being pissed again. I just don't understand it. I don't think anybody was sitting here going, you know what, Final Fantasy Thirteen needed jumping. That's what we needed. We needed bland environments and jumping. That's what we. It's well, like that was the same thing they did with Ten to Ten Two. They added like the kind of awkwardish jumping, and I mean it looks awkward, but it's just a way of you know just to be devil's advocate here because I'm not a huge fan of it either, but. You know, it's just a way to expand the way you can explore the environment in a relatively, you know, JRPG. I just don't even under. I, I don't understand how anybody could be. A, uh, okay, I I don't. I shouldn't say that because that sounds way too harsh and it sounds like I'm being way too, way too critical. But as a longtime Final Fantasy fan, like going through the sky, going through that art book, and writing that piece for the website, like made me remember how much I used to love Final Fantasy and feeling like I was on an adventure and exploring. And now I just stare at it, and I'm like, you know what? This isn't even for me anymore. I just don't. I, I just why, you know, why? We did we did an interview way back before Kingdoms of Amalur came out, and I think I think this was the one Dave did, and they were talking about the art design in Amalur, and they were saying that uh, his name, uh, the art director Seth was it Seth MacFarlane or Todd McFarlane? Yes, that's, uh, Todd yeah. McFarlane. Seth MacFarlane said, of Family Guy. <laughs> yeah, I don't get me started on him. He said, when you're designing this world and you're creating something, I want you to ask yourself, what is the function of this thing? Whatever it is. Is it a soul catcher? Is it a, you know, is it a giant, like, scene? He said, I don't want you to put something in this world just because it looks cool. Everything in your world should have a function, and you should be able to say, oh, yeah, I drew that there because the people of this village use that. Or in this dungeon, they're using this to kill people. Or, you know, something like that. And Square Enix doesn't do that anymore. They do... Holy crap, that would look cool if there was a big crystal there and a bunch of planes crashed into it and then you jumped on top of the planes fighting a boss battle, right? That's, uh, that's how they design stuff now. And I, 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 I always tell it soulless, and I, I, that's what I think it is. And they're, it's the same thing they do at Kingdom Hearts now. It's just, this is the stuff that we're just dumping into the game because it looks flashy and cool with no thought of what, what the implications are. Derek? <laughs> I, I like flashy and cool when it has a function. Um, I agree. I, no, I completely but, agree. But not, yeah, what you're saying. But I agree, though. Like, I think I think her costume design is, is that, like, we saw the picture of her costume, I think, a day or two before that trailer came out. <laughs> and the first thing I thought was just, like, what are they doing? Like, they, they just made her costume as completely absurd and unrealistic as possible. And realism isn't what I look for in, in games in general. Um but I don't know, like, I saw her costume, and I was like, okay, I'm getting a weird feeling about this. And then when you see in the trailer with the sunglasses, and she says the line, you should know who I am, it was just like, really? You guys are trying so go. hard. Like, 
I already like that character. And you guys know that that I like Lightning and you guys aren't super big fans of her. Like, I think she's a cool character. But it's, like, so over-the-top in-your-face. Like, you better like her because she's so cool. It, it, the thing is, I think Lightning Worst looks cool. birthday ever. Ever. I, I like that, Lightning. <laughs> no, I, 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 think, I think she looked cool. And that was the only reason I really used her in 13 was because, okay, she fights cool. I like her. Personality-wise, she's, like, you know... A damp towel, but I don't know. Like, I, doesn't I she like, get better I like later in the character. game? I, I heard I, she got better later in the game. She follows the cloud school of I hate everybody, wait, never mind, I love everybody. Uh, a little bit, but I think that, I, I don't know, I'm not going to say that she's like more nuanced than Cloud necessarily because she there's just less She doesn't have multiple personalities. <laughs> right, there's less character <laughs> development in, in 13 than there are in other Final Fantasies, which is yeah. one, of the issue, one of the bigger issues of the game. Um, and unlike 12, where that doesn't have a lot of character development, but the atmosphere is incredible and makes up for it. But anyway, Lightning Returns. So, like, you know, I'm the one who likes Final Fantasy 13, and I, I maintain that. And I've said it before. I don't think it's the best game ever, but I do like it. And 13-2, I enjoyed its gameplay. I, I enjoyed the gameplay, and I, I love the soundtrack in that game, and I enjoyed exploring. Like, I, I liked playing it. But when it came to the story, it was just like, what is going on? And so when I see 13, when I see Lightning Returns, I'm like, okay... So the story seems even more nonsensical and the gameplay looks weird. Like, how am I supposed to feel about this? Uh, I, I agree with you. And Lightning being over the top. So uh, I, I want to I like I'm going to play it. I, I guarantee I'm going to play it and I'm probably going to like it unless they completely ruin it and it's 100% broken. I'm probably going to enjoy that game. But the I way have... that they're marketing it and presenting it is really confusing me. No, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think, you know, I didn't hate 13-2. I, you know, I didn't get to play it much yet, but I enjoyed the demo in terms of gameplay, and I heard the story was awful, and I said, you know what? I barely finished 13. Uh, I'm not really on board with the story here, whatever. And then, you know, 13-2, I don't have any... I mean, I guess it doesn't matter that I don't have any attachment to the story. It just, I think they're, they're, they're trying to make Lightning into a more compelling character than they have made her. Like, if they had spent two games building up a character that was interesting as Yuri from Shadow Hearts and they made a third game where like Yuri's back. I'd be like, hell yeah, Yuri's back. But I'm sitting here, it's like like I never you didn't give me any reason to care about what happens to her because the the first game where she wasn't too bad, then the second game where they just dumped all the plot development out the window and then they were like, Yeah, time traveled and some other stuff and yes, whatever. She was hardly uh, even in the second one. There were like, yeah, she had a couple of scenes. Yeah, she looked awesome. I mean, I actually really, I loved her outfit in two. Um, no, she looked whole, cool like, in two. Battle goddess thing. But then in in thirteen three, it's sort of like a, it's a it's an amalgam of her outfits in one and two, and they're presenting her as this like lone savior, dark brooding heroine that, and she's she's not really like that. I mean, I know that you don't think that she has a super strong personality, but. Um, she, because in thirteen she she starts off as like you know badass swordswoman doesn't care is totally a loner and then she sort of opens up and she realizes that she's she made mistakes and she admits to that okay sure and then in thirteen two she has sort of a different image as like an infallible warrior goddess um, and then in that, thirteen and in, in lightning returns she's like it, it's yet another shift in personality that I'm not really understanding like wh that's, why that's would she I'm change saying. again and and it's, why why would you market lightning as like the focal point of this game and then have her be basically a different character if that makes any sense no i agree i, I that's the that's what i said with 13 one she had some development not not much and i didn't think it was terribly compelling but 
you know, she, you know, she, you know, she cared about her sister, and that, you know, that was sort of her drive as a character, and you know, she, she improved from that. But it's like in thirteen two, it's like, well, yeah, we're done with that lightning, and then it's like, okay, well, now we need her to be our next iconic character, so now she's somebody else, and it just, it just feels like they're called thirteen because they all involve a character named Lightning and some vague references to the last game. Okay, okay, I'm. I'm past being being angry. I uh, I just want to move on. Can we move right. on? Yes. Uh, Hyperdimension Neptunia Victory has been announced uh, for March. Uh, 100% more Mo Moe. Yeah, uh, honestly, like I have so much respect for Compile Heart and 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 IS America here, simply because you know what they know exactly what they're doing. This is not some oh let's 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 do something crazy like they know their market, and they're doing it for this very specific market. I have to respect them for it. The trailer literally says tons and tons of moe. Yeah, Netgear I, I is know so going to be my life. Ask John. Wait, say that again. I said I didn't know what that. I remember when when you were you were putting the trailer up, we were talking about it, and I was like, "What's moe?" And you explained it to me. I was like, "Oh." Well, yeah, that is very uh, bold. But, you know, you have to respect they're not trying to sell their game to people that won't buy their game, which sort of ties into what we've been you know, upset about with you know, Rob's upset with Final Fantasy and Resident Evil. You know, they're not trying to change their game to sell more copies. They're like, well, we know who's going to buy our game and we're going to make this game for them. Yep. So if uh, if you had interest in Neptunia 1 or 2, which, you know what, despite the fact that, that these stories are very not very clearly not meant for me. Neptunia 2 had actually a very nice, if unpolished, battle system. So I'm hoping that, that at the very least, Victory follows suit there. But, you know, we'll see what happens. I'm saving that for last because I'm going to leave while I talk <laughs> about it. No, 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 no. Um, <laughs> the Secret World is, uh, is subscription-free now. So... Yeah. Um, both of EA's MMORPGs from this year are, are now free to play though. Unlike, uh, the old Republic, you still have to buy the game, but you just don't have to pay subscription for it. So it's kind of like Guild Wars. I, I don't understand it. why they didn't, uh, like adopt the same model for both of their games. Like, uh, well, I, 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 so let, let's step back for a second and let's be clear with, with one thing. Star Wars The Old Republic is an electronic arts game. You know, Bioware is owned by EA. EA funded the game. It's it's an electronic arts game. The, the Secret TSL World... Funcom, the, right? The, yes, The Secret World is owned by Funcom. It's a Funcom brand. It's a uh, Funcom game. Okay. But it was an EA Partners distribution. Okay, so, so that's why you could have different business model. Okay. Because it is still at the core a Funcom game. So um, Dave's not here. I know Dave played it. Um, I played. He, yeah, it it's kind of weird, but it it's got its market. Um, God, can the you combat's know? not very good. If if they could just go, <laughs> rip the combat out, like that was my thing. Like it, it the combat in that game was such an afterthought. I, but I was so intrigued by like the having to look around the environment and like visit websites to solve puzzles, which I didn't even have a chance to get to because it was so front-loaded with a freaking zombie apocalypse in a small northeastern town. I wanted to shoot myself. I'm just like, why? They had such a really cool idea, and they just 
It's like they, they got to the development and then they were just like, you know what, we, we have to put MMO combat in it. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of unfortunate because there, there have been several combat-free MMOs and none of them have done well, but they have existed. And I think that that's kind of Secret World could have succeeded there. Yeah, it was such a cool idea. Like, I, I, it's funny because I think uh, if they had done some of the really cool things that Guild Wars Two had done in terms of like making it very easy to communicate with people and making like the whole MMO experience a little bit friendlier, and they just ripped the combat out, they would have had something really special. And I, I think they could have developed like a groundswell. I'm, it's kind of what I'm. They keep. They keep bringing up like every couple of months. Somebody talks about the White Wolf MMO, the uh, world, the, the World of Darkness MMO, and I'm just like, you know, if that thing is just boring MMO combat, I don't care. I want it to be about like political intrigue and forming alliances. I don't know how you make that an effective MMO, but God, just do well, something uh, interesting. Uh, uh, uh. Honestly, the game that's most effectively done that, and it's not been political. Well, in some ways, is, is Eve Online, right? Right. Is Eve Online is set up in such a way where literally it's not that they're they're creating a story that's full of political intrigue, is that they've created a game system that makes political intrigue, and that's it's, awesome. Yeah, which they they actually just uh, they just tied in Eve Online's part of the the compatibility between Eve Online and Dust Five Fourteen together, which that should be really cool when that's all said and done. Yeah, that concept was I I really thought it was neat when they announced that. Moving on. <laughs> All right, uh, Pokemans Mystery Dungeon uh, comes out Pokemon. on the twenty fourth of March. Um, so that might be a roguelike that Rob would like because it's full of Pokemans. I like Pokemon. Yeah. So um, it's uh, Pokemon. It's the first Mystery Dungeon game to have three D graphics. Um, you can use the three DS camera to scan the world around you. Um, it's Mystery Dungeon. It's a roguelike that's got Pokemon characters in it. Yeah, it looks alright. You can play as an Oshawott, which is cool because he's like, you know, clearly he's the king of Pokemon at this point. So, I don't know what you just said. He's like a water weasel, something. Yeah. <laughs> Does that make sense now? Oh, uh, like is he the guy in the logo that's next to Pikachu? Like the little white. Probably. He's yeah. He looks like a snowman mixed with an otter. That's a really apt description, actually. He's so cute. Right. Snuggle, snuggle. Um, awesome news. Um, also for 3DS is uh, Soul Hackers is coming to the U.S. Yes! Um, it will be out in spring. Um, and it will be awesome. Yes. Yep. So yep. All yep. Three yep. Things. I'm excited. It's Between it has, that and Entry and Odyssey 4, it's going to be a very dungeon-y quarter. We might even get SMT4 next year. I, I don't know, so. though. And hopefully Bravely so, Default. Be a good year oh, for God, Bravely Default. Uh, yeah, I, I hope we get Bravely Default. I, I'm not Certainly will, but I hope we do. Um, it was originally a Saturn and PS1 game. Um, this is the first time it's coming out in North America. So if you like Shin Megami Tensei games, congratulations. It's uh, it's on its way. Um, also coming to 3DS is uh, Unchained Blades, which is another dungeon crawler. Uh, hey. That's going to be out January 4th. I lost hey, the date. We have a guy that played that game on our staff. January 3rd, yes, Derek reviewed it. He gave it a, let me click on the link. He gave it an 80-something. Yeah, it was like, I think I gave it like an 80, 82. It has really good 82. music, too. It's, yeah, it's an okay game. I'm glad, it's I'm a, surprised that it took that, that long for them to get it on um, 3DS. I know they had a lot of issues. They were, they've been posting about it off and on, so I'm glad to see it's finally going to get, uh, you know, a chance to reach another audience. I don't think it's a 
terrible game, but it's definitely not um, good for beginners for dungeon crawlers. Yeah. Well, what dungeon it, crawlers? Did it come out on PSP first or 3DS? I know it came out on something, and now it's coming out on something else. Yes, it came out originally on PSP, and then in January it's coming out for 3DS. Okay, cool. Uh, there will know... be no... Oh, go ahead. Uh, you're about to answer my question. Oh, there will be no physical version of the game. It's going to be download only. Oh, Just like my the question. PSP. Uh, just, is it any uh, different from the PSP version? Like uh, resolution different, or well, I guess because well, the, the, the resolution is different because of the resolution of the 3DS screen. But I, I don't think that there's anything it's, different in regards to content. Just it's not. It's just that the map is on one screen and the dungeons on the other. And on the PSP, it was sort of like a toggleable overlay. But that's okay. that's it really. All right, and last, and I'm actually going to be um, leaving just after I announce this because oh, I have nothing to add. It, I I have to go, and I have nothing to add to this conversation. Oh, so. dude. All right, whatever. All right, um, Dark Souls Two. Goodbye. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and thanks for playing a lot of Dark Souls lately. Yep, yep. Wait, 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 wait. Let's back up a little bit. Let's back up a little bit. Uh, I really wish I had been watching the VGAs uh, when they when they first showed the trailer because unfortunately I went on to Kotaku and I let out the squeal of a lifetime when I saw Dark Souls 2 announced. So well, I did you texted me and I was like whatever. Yeah, like, I didn't even believe you. And so I didn't even like uh, I, I wish I had gotten a chance to watch the trailer without knowing what it was because it it did look different. I mean, it, you can't really glean too much from a trailer. It it sort of had the aesthetics here and there, but it did look a little bit different. I don't know, that night looked just like a Dark Souls night. No, the the night looked like a Dark Souls night, and the dragon looked like a Dark Souls dragon. Uh, but it, but then the Edge magazine cover story comes out, and everybody starts losing their mind. Uh, Miyazaki is not directing it. Uh, it's going to a new guy. He, he's still standing on as a supervisor while he works on another project from From. Then the new director, Shibuya, uh, said something about accessibility, and the internet exploded, and blah, 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 blah. Okay. Let's. They're not making Skyrim. This is not going to be Skyrim. All right. I. I. Everybody needs to back up for a second. First off, I am nervous, just like anybody else would be for a new game, because when you hear about a new director taking over, when you hear about new directions, there's going to be a little bit of nervousness. When I hear them say accessibility, I hear okay. I think of a tutorial saying, "Hello, this covenant will allow you to invade and kill people." And and a more straightforward approach to that. I actually think uh, I've been replaying a lot of Dark Souls as well, and I think the covenant system is inherently broken and doesn't work as well as they wanted it to. I think there's really cool ideas, and like the Grave Lord Covenant, for example, is a really cool idea of like just griefing people, but they. They don't work to their full potential. It's like they're a side thing that could have been like an integral part of the experience, and instead they just kind of – they're there to screw around with, but I, I want them to be a more integral part. So if they clear that out, that's a good idea. I personally think they worked pretty well. It's just with the way the servers were set up, it was very hit or miss as to whether or not – because you're already competing with, all right, I have to make sure I'm in the right area. I have to make sure my soul is the right level to do this. I have to hope that someone either summons me or I can get or I can invade. And then it's like, oh, and also it, you have a 50 hit chance of just flat out failing to be summoned. 
And right. if you're on PC, it's 99% chance. And now they've even gone a step further, and they've said they're going back to dedicated servers, which is one of the reasons why, even though I don't like Demon Souls as much as Dark Souls, Demon Souls is much more friendly in terms of summoning people. It was so Absolutely. much easier in that game. So let's hope that they figure out the technical problems there. Miyazaki also said that he he wants this game to be released when it's finished. I think he was hinting at the fact that they were kind of pushed to put Dark Souls out a little too soon. I don't even think this game's coming out next year. I think it's going to be early 2014, so we're talking potentially after a new console launch. But also keep in mind that they've announced a PC version from the get-go this time. Right. They've already said they've only got 25% of this game done. I think it's still very early. It just came out on Kotaku this week that it's a brand new engine, so I'm sure they were working on the engine for far longer in order to get the game up and running. I'm really excited to see where they go. I, I think that the shell of Dark Souls, it, it, it sounds like they want to keep the exploration. They want to keep the difficulty. Those combat. are the core. Yeah, the combat. They they want to keep the core tenants. If they want to try some new stuff to keep it fresh, I'm okay with this. If we, when we first talked about Dark Souls, I said, because Zach was asking me, like, do you want a new one of these every two years? And I said, actually, I don't. Because there's something really special about this game, and if they're going to make a sequel to it, I want them to do some new stuff. Don't just release, you know, Gears of War 2, the Dark Souls edition or whatever. I want to see advancement. I want to see some new stuff added to it to make it a, a proper sequel. And if they're if they can do that, fine. I, I don't think we we don't even know enough about this damn game. We haven't even seen a, an in-game screenshot yet. And one thing you have to keep in mind too is that. Dark Souls changed a lot of stuff from Demon Souls, and it was better. You know, yeah. some people argue that certain. There are a lot of people, especially you know, hardcore people on message boards, that are like, "No, Demon Souls is far here. They've destroyed this or that." And you know, that's an opinion. That's fine. You know, I, I can appreciate that because Demon Souls is a great game. But I don't mind seeing some stuff change. Like Pyromancy was new in Dark Souls. I didn't know what it was, but then all of a sudden, like, "Oh, this is cool," and you know, I, I have no problem with something popping up on screen going. Hey, don't go to the graveyard because you'll get killed instantaneously. You know, yeah. I, I want them to strike a balance and keep some of that, you know, that mystery there of, oh, I like the thing with Dark Souls is that my brother's been playing it a lot. And as he keeps saying, something crazy happens and he goes, well, I didn't think that could happen. But then I remembered it's Dark Souls. So I don't know what can happen. And that's that's sort of what they need to keep is that sense of like enigmatic. There's so much here you may not know anything about. And the only way to find out is to just go on and see what happens. And as long as they keep that and, you know, the core like, combat and the really, really fantastic world design, I think I'll be okay. Yeah, I mean, so far the art, the pieces of art that they've released, I mean, it looks oh, like Dark Souls. So cool. It looks like Dark Souls. The monster designs are awesome, dude. I mean, I, like, I'm not, I, again, I'm worried, but I'm worried in a positive way. I'm excited. I want to see what they do. Um, I, I don't see them butchering it. I do worry, though, because From Software does kind of have a tendency to put out lots and lots of sequels. So that does make me a little nervous. I wouldn't be surprised if Miyazaki's other project right now was Demon Souls 2. It really wouldn't <laughs> surprise, or if it was even Dark Souls 3 on a next generation console, it really wouldn't surprise me if that's what they were doing. I don't want to see. As long as there's a space 
I'm okay with that. Well, as long as there's space and I want advancement. I, I don't want just... Playing through the Artorius DLC, it showed me two things. One, the Artorius fight really showed me what the final boss fight of De- of Dark Souls should have been. Where yeah, my, my brother fought Artorius yesterday, and I was sitting there going, man, this fight is awesome. I, that is an awesome, awesome fight. And meanwhile, Lord Gwyn is... Uh, I was able to actually beat Lord Gwyn with a great shield, which I had never done before. So they, they definitely toned him down a little bit. But it showed me... I mean, I don't, I don't think he's I never thought he was broken though. He was tough, but the thing is that You didn't play it when it first came out, dude. Yeah, he dude. he no no no. The before the first patch that first week, he would not stop. He was the freaking terminator. He he literally would not stop. He just kept swinging at you. There was no way to even like it was ridiculous. Like it was just like he would pin you and you're dead game over it, it was then they Real knocked him down yeah then they knocked him down a little bit but like playing through the artorias dlc showed me that i don't just want new environments i do want some new stuff I, I do want like the covenant thing to work a little bit more i want it to be easier for me to like summon somebody right now trying to summon somebody on ps3 at least where i am with my peer-to-peer service is terrible it is just terrible i'm getting invaded more than i'm seeing summon signs See, it, it sucks oh. My uh, sorry, I'm watching. I'm actually watching my brother play Artorias right, right now, and I, 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 you know, I, I'm not saying that there isn't a problem with the with the connection issues because I know there are pers- from personal experience. But I, it's not broken. I mean, he's he's invading people. He's getting invaded. He's jo- has people join him. You know, uh, and, it's very hit and miss without dedicated servers, though. Oh no, very absolutely. hit and I think miss. That, that's 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 the thing is people are already panicking, and I'm like, they've already at least one good decision. Yeah, and uh, it's not just the director that made that game. You know, he directed it, yes, but there were the the team that made the game does the bulk of the the programming and the design and stuff. So, same people. Yeah, just because uh, you put a different guy at the top doesn't mean it's going to be broken and destroy everything you've ever known and loved about Dark Souls. Yeah, I, I mean, we could talk about this all day, but my, my big thing is that everybody just needs to relax. I think the game's big reveal is going to be at E3 or maybe a little bit before. I mean... God, I hope it's at E3. I think it's going to be at E3, Steven, and uh, you will be calling me while you play it. <laughs> I want you to have a headset in, and yes, we are we are talking about it. Like, I'm so excited to see where they go. I think it's great that this, this game that is kind of a... Um, cult classic right now we get another one it's a really good idea i thought the vgas knocked it out of the park with a reveal like that i was like after all the crap that they had gone through with like the teabagging last year i thought that was a massive win i was just yeah they did a that's surprisingly really- good job doing things that weren't stupid this year like they gave awards to games that deserved awards not just games that well, had uh, really popular publishers uh let's be honest here that the giving walking dead the game of the year was a hipster choice that it was. It, it, I mean, it was. I the Walking Dead. But... giving it to the Walking Dead. Well, that and XCOM. And I'm just. They like... gave it. They gave it. They they gave a nod to Journey too, though. And that's that's not necessarily a very popular game. It's a really good one. I mean, it's yeah. everything I've heard. You know, I'm, oh, I'm actually if... trying to play it soon, but. But Stephen, we both know it's not the game of the year. The game of the year was Dishonored. Dark Souls prepared to die. Oh, yes. <laughs> Dishonored. St- uh, Derek, uh, any thoughts uh, on Dark Souls too? Are you uh, uh, are you excited to die? Hmm. Uh, Oh, for God. Derek, play Dark Souls again. Don't go to the, the graveyard. The graveyard is right. like late. All right. Okay, buy it for me on Steam. I'll play it. Dude, you have it on PS3. No, I don't. I thought you did. No, I like when I worked at GameStop, which I don't anymore. Haha. Oh, you I, played one of the ha-ha. versions? I, I checked it out. Yeah, I, I just did like the employee checkout thing. 
actually, at this point, I don't think there's any reason to play the console version if you have access to the PC version because the mod that makes it look better makes it look freaking fantastic, and you get your solid frame rate and yep. the ability to take screenshots, right. which is great because I can be vain. So while I'm fighting lost and killing one hit, I can stop and try to pose and take a picture of myself. So I look cool. All right, all right. I have a nice PC, so yeah, sure. If you want to buy that for me, go right ahead, and I'll try it. Okay, okay. Uh, so yeah, Dark Souls Two. Let's uh, see where they go with it. We got lots of games coming up. Uh, as we bring this, I apologize, episode... John, in advance for when it comes out, and we don't talk about anything else. Yeah, it's gonna be bad. Uh, so with the end of episode fifty-four, just wanted to let everybody know that we are planning on doing a twenty twelve retrospective podcast to open up the new year. Um, we're gonna have lots and lots to talk about. I'm sure we'll complain about Mass Effect Three again. Uh, we just have. A, I, I want that to be like a big kind of fun year, and we're gonna do our predictions for next year. I was going to predict Dark Souls Two was announced, so crap oh, not anymore well there we go so i gotta come up with a new prediction but uh yeah stay Hopefully tuned Dishonored gets announced because that would be lovely i think it might be a little early for that but whatever um nope nope uh so yeah lo- stay tuned look forward to that uh make sure to give us reviews on itunes uh send us questions we are collecting some for hopefully another uh listener feedback in the future and until then bad bro is not a, an appropriate question oh shut up Until then, we will talk to you guys later.